The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. We're glad you found us. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Discover a positive path for spiritual living. Welcome to Voices of Unity with Reverend Ellen Debenport. This is Voices of Unity. And I'm Ellen Debenport. This is a show that invites different new thought leaders to share their wisdom and expertise, to help you dive deep into spiritual topics so you can discover new ideas and practices that will enhance your life. Uh, Our guests bring different areas of expertise with them. Sometimes it's a body of work that they have studied, and sometimes it's their life experience, and that is the case today. We are in our series for Pride Month, and today we're talking about gay parenting and beyond. So first of all, I have my co-host, Jackie Fernandez. Hi. Who has two teenage girls. Um, We also have as guests Ken Daigle, who is the minister in San Francisco, Unity of San Francisco. He's been on the show before for other reasons, but today he's going to talk about gay parenting. And also, also with us is Maggie Alderman, who is a ministerial candidate. Do we still call them that? She's, she's yeah. in seminary. She is planning to be ordained in another year. And she has all kinds of experience with her own gay parents and parenting. And it, we have so much to talk about in so many different directions. But I thought I would start by letting the two of you just... Bring us up to date on your stories. Uh, Ken, I love the story of how you and J.D. blogged about trying to find a baby and how that turned out. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I still think about it today and think, did that happen? Is that a story <laughs> I wrote or did it really happen in our lives? My husband and I were in the process of, of trying to find a child through open adoption. Uh, we had this idea you know, that we were going to adopt an infant, and then we were going to adopt another child actor from the foster care system. And at two years into the adoption process, trying to find an infant and in the uh, open adoption world, uh, we still hadn't been successful. We had had a couple of heartbreaking disappointments. And we had been blogging, uh, and a blog for my community and then also on our uh, specifically dedicated adoption Facebook page. And we blogged, and we had 3,000 followers, I think, at the time on our Facebook page. We got picked up and shared by a lot of people. And we were in Houston um, with a mother who had chosen to give us her child. Uh, The baby was born, and we were in the hospital helping take care of the baby, and she changed her mind, Mm. uh, which we always know was part of the possibility. And it was just as you know, can imagine, excruciatingly painful and exactly the right thing for that family. So we wrote about that going, we know that our baby is coming and that this baby still love and support to this mom. She's, she needs it as she steps into parenting herself. And we also honor our heartbreak. And 
we licked our wounds and came home to California. And we got a phone call from a woman in California when we got home saying, hi, my family has been reading your blog and we think you'd be great parents and we'd like to give you a child. And uh, we were like, <laughs> give wow. you a child. Give me a child. I said, do you want to be our surrogate? And she said, no, 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 no. I, we, we don't need the money. And I, I have uh, two kids already. And uh, my, my husband, we get pregnant really easy. And my, my, I love being pregnant. So we, my husband and I talked about it. We just like to conceive and give you a child and give <laughs> the baby to you. <laughs> this does oh, not wow. happen, Ken. <laughs> I swear, my husband, Jamie and I were looking at each other because we were on speakerphone and we're like, and we put her on mute going, okay, she's a crazy woman. She's a crazy woman. Because <laughs> <laughs> you'd never met her, right? She just called out of the blue. She just called out of the blue. She was following us on our Facebook page. <sighs> so she was following a blog called, um, I can't remember right now, but it was something about motherhood and breastfeeding. And anyway, this blog had shared our story and it just got picked up and we went viral. And so Sandra uh, called us and told us all this. So we talked to her for a while on the phone and we said, so we need to think about this and we need to do some research. And uh, she said, okay, that's great. My husband will be home. He travels for work. He'll be home this weekend. Let's, let's arrange a call. So we had a call a couple of days later. We had called our lawyer and the lawyer said, well, I've been doing this for 25 years and there is nothing illegal about this. They can do it, but I've never heard of it <laughs> <laughs> in all my years. So we spoke to them. Uh, he's an Iraqi war veteran, uh, and she's a dreamer kid. She was brought here by her parents undocumented when she was an infant. And uh, they live in California. And we had another phone call with her, and she said, you know what? I did some research, too. And she said, I found out that in California, uh, if we have a second set of attorneys, we can sign away all of our rights the day of the birth in the hospital because we don't want you guys to ever worry we're going to change our minds. Wow. And we were like, oh, my God. So we said we should meet. And they drove up from Bakersfield, California, to meet us, and they brought their two precious kids, and they're 22 years old. And uh, just beautiful beings. And by the time it was all over, we were said that they, we spent the day together and we said, okay, we're all in. If you're willing to do this, we're willing to do this. And I said, go have sex. <laughs> 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 Let's get to it. <laughs> Let's get to it. And, um, and uh, they um, went and started. She was still breastfeeding her youngest child at the time. So nothing was happening quickly. And so we, uh, we went, we said, why are we waiting? And we started the foster care application. We said, while we're waiting for Sandra to get pregnant, if she does, we can be taking care of another kid. And so that's when we adopted our teenage son in that moment. And this is the, the really, you know, the unity part of it, the God part of it. We brought Tobias into our home in October, uh, and in November, Sandra called us and said, I'm pregnant. I'm a month pregnant. And when we did the math, she became pregnant the same weekend mm. that Tobias moved into our house. Mm. And so we went through the pregnancy, uh, all the doctor's visits and everything with her. She and her husband and J.D. and I were all in the delivery room. And her husband filmed the birth. JD cut the cord, and I was the first to hold Roma. Oh. And just, just, they are angels. They're still in our lives. We're going to visit them for the Fourth of July. Uh, just 
yeah, miracle story. Every every day a miracle. So that's how I became a dad. Two in one year. <laughs> a teenager and a newborn. And an infant. Yeah. In one year. <laughs> one year. <laughs> You know, know, it was amazing, uh, Ken, to to witness that process um, as it unfolded for you and JD. But I tell you, it's just as good hearing you tell it today. (laughs) (laughs) And giving that little high five to Roma yesterday is, you know, it's just, yeah, it's amazing. She's she's having a blast here at convention. So she's just run around seeing all the friends she's, she's made over the years. Yeah, so yeah. listeners, you can go on to Ken Daigle's Facebook, D-A-I-G-L-E, mm-hmm. and see pictures of Roma, who is adorable. She's three or four? She'll be four in July. Okay. So she's three in, yeah, 11, to 11 months. <laughs> she is just, she's cuter every year. Yeah, it's scary. It's yeah. scary. She's now she's like in her little leotard for gymnastics class, and she puts her hands on her hips, and it's like, oh my god, stop! You're just too cute. <laughs> but so the the teenager you fostered then adopted has has grown up and left home, right? He left home and came back. Oh, is he back? <laughs> yes, he is back. Okay, he is back. So Tobias is back, and he's doing great. He's in in college again and working and uh, trying to figure out life. He he had a failed launch, which is not unusual for any kids, but especially for foster kids. So it's been an amazing journey. I did put this on my Facebook page, too, so people can read it. But um, this is our note from him from Father's Day, if I can share it with you. Yeah. I've been alive for 7,355 days or 1,051 weeks, which is 242 months. And that means I'm 20 years old. 20 is a big number that I never thought I would make it to. Mm. I figured I would be a statistic or end up in jail or in the ground. God had a different plan for me. 152 days ago, a path to success was my successful future was paved. 216 weeks of unconditional love and support, dang near 50 months of constant commitment and four years of experiences that have changed the person I once was. I usually don't get sentimental, but today I give thanks to my two wonderful dads who put their lives aside to help the lives of others. Not just my two siblings and I, but the tons of people they've reached, dare I say millions, plus the lives they will continue to change. It takes a pure heart to make positive change, and with these two in my life, negativity was never an option. Thank you, dads, for preparing me for a life and giving me the best chance of surviving this whole adult thing. Here's to the many adventures we're yet to go on. Oh. <laughs> so I can't. Wow. Uh, Makes it all worthwhile. Yeah. <laughs> Some days I would have doubted that, but that yeah. makes <laughs> right. Really does, yeah. yeah. Um, and it, teenagers, regardless yeah. of gay, straight, whatever, parents are like are last ones to tell you what yeah. they're actually thinking, <laughs> right? <laughs> well, and it was on this show last year that we um, joined you in the birth of your new son. Uh, Joshua is eleven months 
old. Oh. Uh, no, 10 months old. I was going to say 10 months old this this week. So, yes, uh, 10 months ago, he was born, and I was helping you launch the show. <sighs> Can't believe how much time has gone by. We didn't yeah. realize that it would dovetail so nicely, but... Uh, listeners, go back and listen to those shows. I think it was August. When was he born? Yeah, he was born August 23rd. Yeah. Okay, so probably August and September. There were four or five shows with Ken Daigle. And Joshua was born with some medical issues. And I tell people all the time how remarkable it was to hear Ken talk about how he was using unity principles and still acknowledging how scared and sad they were at that time. And it turned out Joshua's fine now. Yes, he is. He's wonderful now. And, um, you know, that's, I think the, the, the new, for me anyway, new way, uh, maybe it's just a more mature understanding of uh, unity principles is that we don't deny our emotions are, you know, the, the sadness, the grief, the fear in the middle of the journey, but we use our principles in those emotions uh, as we go through them. And uh, that's just life, right? We're, always things are going to come up, which are going to challenge us. And that's where principles, actually, Ellen, having the, the appointment to talk to you every week, was a gift uh, because it made me in real time focus what I teach and what I believe and what I know in that experience. And uh, saying, continuing to say yes through it all was the biggest gift. So a thank you is to you yeah. for that. Thanks thank so. you. So Maggie, um, listeners, I know Maggie because she was a member of my church in Wimberley, Texas. And at one point, there were four generations of her family in that little church, which I thought was remarkable. And Maggie's one of those unusual people who grew up in unity. But I've also heard you say you grew up in the birdcage. So I want to hear that story. (laughs) Yeah, let's hear about that. I'll get the popcorn. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it's true. I think I identified my life as being... um, as part of the birdcage when the scene where Val comes home and he's trying to flatter his dad by convincing him it was the right time for him to get married. And he said, you know, I'm the only one who doesn't come from a broken home. And he, you know, his father got teary. He was Robin Williams and mm-hmm. was like, oh, stop it. And he said, no, it's, it's true. And uh, that was, gosh, I was in the early 90s. Mm-hmm. And it was the first time I heard somebody um, in mainstream, uh, honor what looked like my family. Of course, I wasn't raised above a nightclub in Miami, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, I had um, two dads at a time when that was not all that popular and definitely not accepted. Um, so, yeah, it was it, it, balance of personalities and gender roles and being raised in um, a more, you know, quote, unconventional way um, was the first time that that had been given voice to Mm -hmm. for me. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So um, my family is 
now looks more like the modern family that has been seen, um, you know, through television programs or in movies or on Netflix. But I was born in 1977. And in 1987, when I became aware that my dad is gay, it was a time of really heightened fear. Um, that was the peak of the AIDS epidemic. Mm-hmm. And everybody was in a panic and pointing a finger at the homosexual community. Um, so being 10 years old, not really knowing what it meant to be gay, um, but having that cloak, that stigma of fear around our family um, was something that just perpetuated um, intimacy unto ourselves. You know, mm-hmm. my parents have never been hidden, but they've also been aware. And that was um, something that I just grew up knowing. So moving in through high school, um, I went to school one year in um, Washington, D.C., and then I moved back to El Paso, Texas. And the best people could really wrap their brains around and seeing me out with my two dads was them being partners, which was an appropriate, you know, title or allocation or whatever you want to call it. But it was in recognition of not knowing how to um, navigate that, not how to navigate this and what this family looks like. <clears throat> and um, and frankly, that was okay with me at the time because I didn't know how to speak um, on their behalf either and stand in that truth and that power. So that was until probably I graduated high school. And then it was, you know, I blew the doors off and these are my dads and this is my Baxter, who is my stepdad. And um, fully embraced being in, you know, the LGBTQ community um, and varying different roles and different times through rapidly evolving social acceptance. Hmm. And your mother? So my mom had um, a different experience. She did not really, it's funny because I was 15 and we lived with her partner when I was in high school And then I graduated and moved away, and they stayed together, and, you know, relationships ebb and flow, and they drifted apart. And it wasn't until six years ago, (laughs) I noticed a change in my um, communication with my mom. We used to talk every day, and all of a sudden, she became very social and wasn't available for a chat. And I finally said, Mom, you know, what is going on? And she said, Maggie, oh, my God, I just have to tell you. And humming and hawing, she's 67, 66 years old at this time. She's like, I'm, I think I'm a lesbian. <laughs> I was like, wow. Really? <laughs> and is she still is in Texas? A, uh, she's in New Mexico, okay. retired, okay. living with her partner. Um, but it was just so interesting because I had witnessed a 20-year connection with her having a partner And it was just not talked about. It was just not really acknowledged. And through the process of evolution and self-discovery or just not really giving a hoot what anybody else thinks, she finally was able to embrace that and and live out loud and Mm -hmm. proud in who and 
and what she really is. And it was an interesting experience to think that my mom was coming out to me when she was, you know, 60 plus years old. <laughs> um, but a really powerful moment in her trusting that, that within herself and bringing that truth to me in full acknowledgement and knowing that it, she would be accepted and loved, of course. Wow, that's beautiful. So yeah. you grew up and married a man. I did. And had three I did. kids. We were married for, and we had a, a gaggle of them. We have three kids. <laughs> <laughs> they're great kids. Yes. I, I'll vouch for all those kids. Well, they're a handful. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I probably have seen a different side, you know. The... Of course. <laughs> and how old are they now? Yeah. Uh, my oldest is 20, the middle is 18, and the baby is 14, going to be starting high school. He cannot be 14. <laughs> I know. I know. He was in kindergarten when you first met him. Yes. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. And that's how I picture him, little curly-haired boy. He's still curly-headed, but he is almost six feet tall. <laughs> and being raised in a a marvelously dynamic um, family. So so do you want to talk about so, yeah. that? Sure. Um, so, yeah, I got married. I married a man. We had three children. Um, I lived and raised them for the majority of, um, gosh, the last 20 years in on the East Coast in Virginia Beach, Virginia. <clears throat> um I don't know how to express fully um, what it was like to, for me to be married to a man. And I'm thinking about, like, I get this question a lot. Well, did you know you were gay? And how could you have possibly? And it's, it, you know, rolls around in the back of my mind, like, yes. And... I think the influencing factor was that I was raised by gay parents and wanted to um, ease the angst a little bit for them in having a quote, you know, God, it's a horrible word in this context, but a normal child because they had Mm -hmm. had so many um, internal and family-based and socially um, instilled fears and just, uh, you know, wanted it to be easy. I wanted that to be easy for them. And, um, and I think there was a huge assumption on their part that they were maybe the anomaly, you know, like how, this, this is kind of out of the blue. We don't really talk about it. It's not the everyday social or family factor to have a gay father or a gay mom. So this this assumption was that of course I would be straight, um, and I went with it. I did, and I I have no regrets. My life was very very full. Um, I of course have these three amazing children. Um, I had a a family of in laws that um, enriched our lives, and we had a lot of great experiences. I had tons of friends in that time of my life. Uh, and then, you know, 
God bless ministerial school. (laughs) I'd say that the SCE classes should come with a warning label, Mm -hmm. you know, because I started to do that um, deep, deep internal searching and found that I was fiercely protective of my family, of my kids, and mostly of my oldest, who is also gay, Mm -hmm. and was willing to move mountains for her. I uprooted that family and moved them from Virginia to Texas so that she would have an environment that would be more accommodating, more accepting, and allow her to be a fuller expression of her her full self. And when I was about about finished with SEE classes, I had one of those, what are you doing, Maggie, moments. And just could not swallow um, an inauthentic moment, not for one more second for me. And um, I had to face that and have a really difficult conversation, really difficult conversation with the father of my children. And, you know, they, you know, all those times when you thought I might have been a little too masculine or you know, fell into a stereotype of a lesbian just on a visual appearance or the way I would behave or show up. Um, Well, it turns out your power of intuition is just as strong as mine, and you are right. Um, And so I can't do what this looks like anymore. And hence into the next uh, chapter of my life. And now being married to a woman and working through... um, you know, the blending of a family, we are no different than anybody else. It is not easy. It is not always fun. Um, We come up against a lot of challenges that force us closer together and sometimes want to claw us apart. And at the end of the day, it's just a vested interest in loving each other and loving the kids that are a part of our relationship, our marriage, of course. You are both really interesting people. Uh, we're um, wow. It's yeah. all I have to say, Maggie. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> um. So we're coming up on a break. I do want to talk more about the parenting part of it when we come back, because both of you and Jackie are parents. I'm just going to be an ally, okay, on the parenting, um, not having kids of my own, uh, and. I'm sure you have more stories, so let's let's come back in a few minutes after these messages. This is Voices of Unity. listening to Unity Online Radio, celebrating Pride Month with the LGBTQ community. As Unity Online Radio continues to expand its programming and outreach around the world, we depend on the generosity of listeners like you. If you enjoy the programming, 
please make your donation today by going to unityonlineradio.org and click on Donate. Thank you for your support. Here's a Unity Teachable Moment with Rev. Wendy Craig Purcell, taken from a talk called The Plan Unfolds. I know in those times in my life where the changes have been hard and difficult and painful, that one of the things that has helped me to deal with them is to realize, oh my gosh, this is not just ultimately for my own growth and my own benefit, but it's going to help me in some way to be a benefit of other people. And so very important to this idea of true new beginnings is that it usually begins not with something that we've changed out here and have said we want this to be the new beginning, but we're beginning to feel something moving or healing or changing inside of ourselves. To find a Unity Church near you, visit unity.org. Did you know you can reach Unity's 24-7 prayer ministry online? You don't even have to give your name to know the prayers have begun for you or those you love. Someone has been praying around the clock at Silent Unity since 1890, and every request is taken into prayer for 30 days. Why not let us pray with you, too? To submit your prayer request to Silent Unity online, go to unity.org and click on prayer or call 816-969-2000. June is Pride Month, and we invite you to join our virtual Pride Parade as we hear the voice of spirit through LGBTQ leaders and musicians throughout the month. We affirm an individual's right to express their chosen gender and to love according to their preference. Unity stands with the LGBTQ community to say God is love, and we are all worthy of that love. For dedicated spiritual resources, visit unity.org slash LGBTQ. Find the truth within yourself that heals, reveals, guides, and transforms. Tune in to Reverend Galen McDowell every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Central for Truth Transforms. Take a deep dive into the practical aspects of new thought teaching, starting with forgiveness, spiritual healing, prosperity, and more. Reverend McDowell welcomes some amazing guests, and topics can range from reincarnation to the Bible to science. Big plans to join the show here on UnityOnlineRadio.org. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Thanks for joining us. Welcome back to Voices of Unity with Rev. Ellen Devonport. And now we're back. All right. And so I have um, two daughters, 14 and 16. So, yes, I'm in the throes of the marvelous teenage years. And I've got the gray hair to prove it. Um, uh, You know, it's what I noticed for my kids that was different than my generation. And I grew up on the West Coast. And, you know, I feel like it's really important to position ourselves in the country. You know, even hearing you, Maggie, say, like Ken pointed out on our break here, that uh, you went back to Texas for safety and (laughs) a supportive environment. But um, that and, and also generationally, what I noticed about my kids here in Kansas City 
is that even in elementary school, their peers were coming out identifying themselves as um, bisexual, um, questioning, queer, lesbian, gay, trans, like really before puberty was hitting. And as a person in the world, I thought how marvelous that our young people are coming to puberty with the question. No assumption. Mm-hmm. And and how beautiful that is. Like, what does that journey look like? You know, where you just arrive without any assumptions about yourself. Now, as a mother, you know, my my nine-year-old, ten-year-old coming home from school talking about friends together, I'm like, what what do you know about, you know, I don't want to think that you know anything about, you, you know, sexual preference, sexuality, that you're thinking about these things, you know, but it really was um, just an awakening to, to be aware and like, I've got to scramble to, to do parenting right in that way. And I don't know if since you both have teenagers and if you experienced that I don't know, Maggie, you're talking about that you recognize from an early age, but maybe you can talk about that journey with your daughter. Oh, I'd be happy to. So for Samantha, my oldest, um, I, you know, it was just a gender. um, I don't know how to explain it. She is the, the last year of the millennials. So her, her baby sister is the first of, um, the Gen X, um, Gen Y, sorry. And, um, she, Samantha, I just noticed, you know, it was a gender confusion. I'll put it that way. Mm -hmm. It didn't, she was not going to conform. And we, as her parents did not force her to wear dresses, to grow her hair long, to, you know, she wore boy clothes, was riding dirt bikes, going to the skate park, you know, scraped up, banged up, hanging with the boys. And there was just an awareness of um, needing to normalize that for her, to give her the space to explore who she was, regardless of her gender identification. Then you go to her next sister in line, different generation. And what you're saying, Jackie, has been really, really apparent um, with Jillian, my middle child. It has been just this disdain for labels and holding space as for each other and for their peers um, to be who they are without any kind of, um, you know, judgment Mm -hmm. or, um, you know, I'm going to just say it again, that stigma or label. And it has been the most colorful, interesting, delightful group of people that have um, dotted her upbringing and been brought into, you know, the purview of our family. And one of her really great friends um, in high school, graduated high school and began the process um, of gender change. So it, mm-hmm. it has come right up front into our, our home through the invitation of raising these children in a time where it's just okay to be you. 
It's amazing. And, you know, that that piece about labels, like I thought, you know, so Gen X are here and I'm like, yeah, don't you can't put me in a box. You can't label me anything, you know, this kind of thing. But like they're really taking it to the next level. So even in talking to my two girls, you know, in preparation for this show, because I don't, they're young, they're minors. And, you know, I don't want to out them, but they both um, this was the response to my 16 year old um, has identified as hetero flexible. And oh, um, and so I, I asked her, I was like, I yeah, I was like, you know, but even when she was like 12 or 13 and I was like, well, you better not be flexing anything, you know, <laughs> like there's no flex happening, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, you know, and it was just, you know, that just my journey as a parent, like, OK, these 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 young babies are, you know, they're becoming young women and and all that, which is beautiful. It's beautiful to be present to that journey. Um, but, you know, her response recently in, in my asking about this show and, and what I could talk about, well, you, you can say heteroflexible, you can just say bi, or really what I want you to say is that there's, I don't need a label, I don't like labels, you know, don't say that, but if you need to say something, say this. And um, and my younger is just, she just likes questioning. That's what she likes. Yeah. To, just I'm questioning, which, you know, being in the question, like, let's just say that about everything and let's just carry that forward, you know. What what's your favorite food? I'm questioning, you know, I'm open, <laughs> you know, it's just a just a beautiful. And there's part of me, even in my own rebellion against labels that appreciates the fact that we have gender nonconforming, non-binary, transgender, tra- you know, I mean, that there are so many words so there are as many words, you know, cisgender as as there are expressions and that. That to me reflects an openness, you know, when our language can follow the needs of our experience, that there's a beauty to that. And so I don't know if that's just because I'm getting old now that um, I can find a new appreciation for what these words mean. Um, But I hope that in some way I understand that the, the, the. the reason to let go of it is that we don't, you know, what's it to you? It's like often what they say, what do you care? You know, you know, I might ask about their friends. Well, it's, you know, this or that. And you're like, well, what do you care? And it's like, I, it's not what I'm going to do with that information. But that has been the threat for our generations and generations before us is what do you do with that information? Mm-hmm. But but now it's it's more it's a curiosity and like a, a knowing of a person and, and what that might mean, you know. It means something different, as you well know, Ken, for for two cisgendered men in a relationship to come to fatherhood. That's a different journey than two cisgendered women might women might have to take or a heterosexual couple or, you know. And so it's it's those words that we use to describe ourselves. Just they, they, they do that. They describe who we are. So I don't know what your thoughts are about that, either of you. Well, I was telling you, too, before we started, too, I had an experience with a foster son last year, a year and a half ago now. I came into our house when he was three and immediately started wearing Roma's clothes. Um, and so I remember the first day he had put on a dress of Roma's and was running around the house. And my J.D. looked at me and I just said, ignore it. <laughs> right. And by the first month, he was only wearing dresses and he identified as a girl. Um, it was so radically different. Now, this is for a three year old. Right. And we're like, going, OK, what's this going to be and how is this going to be? And being in a unity church, we think we're so liberal. But the end of the year he was with us, he was only wearing dresses 
And we had found there's a gender identity clinic at UCSF, the Children's Hospital mm-hmm. in San Francisco. And we were able to get in an appointment and get him into a gender. Id- and the woman there was so amazing. She said to us, and we're on this growth curve ourselves uh, through this whole process. And she said, well, I don't know what he is, but he is certainly gender expansive. Yeah. And mm. I loved that term, yeah. another great term, yes. right? It's like, okay, so he doesn't need the label. He doesn't need the box. Mm-hmm. And I found, Maggie, it was really funny. I found myself just as fiercely. I loved this boy. He uh, was so sweet and is so sweet. And I would do anything. So one day it was at church before Sunday service happened, and he's in my arms, and a congregant, a gay congregant, walks up to me and says, so he's just going to wear a dress every day now? You're just going to let him dress in drag? Mm. <laughs> I, my mouth fell open. I'm in San Francisco. Right. Okay? Right. Right? I, I, I put my son down and gave him to somebody else to take it. I walked my congregant to the corner and said, you will never, mm. ever talk like that in front of him again. Ever. I was not ministerial. I was not loving. <laughs> you were Papa Bear. I was, not, I was, yeah, I was like fiercely protective ever. And um, and the congregant came up to me after service in tears saying, I am so sorry. That was my father's voice. Oh. That was my father's voice. I was like, I gave him a big hug and loved him. And it's like, yeah, get it. And we all have that. We all have these expectations mm-hmm. that I'm constantly releasing, especially as a parent. So this whole thing about parent, I have this expectation of what my kids are going to do. And the whole point of being a parent is having those expectations challenged and blown apart, I think. I think oh. that's all I know about parenting Preach. right now. <laughs> 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 right? <laughs> if we want our kids to be more than we've ever been, mm-hmm. they have to live in a box bigger than our box. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, right? So uh, how do you make that container? The the perennial parenting question, I think. And and Ellen, to your part about being an ally, I think it's necessary to have you guys because as parents we are such stressed about making sure the kids were doing it right that someone who's not so involved is just essential. So having a minister or friend and allies that, that are there nurturing these kids is just essential. Oh, absolutely. That's an interesting perspective because I got some criticism in churches because I didn't have kids. And the parents' attitude was, you can't possibly understand. And I tried to argue that spiritual principle is the same for everyone, regardless of the circumstances, but they weren't buying it. Um, Which made me think they they were looking more for sympathy than anything Mm -hmm. else. And I can give that too, but but I haven't been there, and that's that's true. But Ken, yeah, it's it's hard. But <laughs> I'm curious, Ken, living in San Francisco, I would think nobody bats an eye at two dads with children. Uh, what what did both of you find when you're around other families with, um, you know, a mother and a father as parents? Um, they pretty much don't bat an eye, but um, it, it's interesting because, uh, like, there's a um, LGBT parent support group at Roma School, 
Roma's, you know, she goes to preschool, but it goes through eighth grade. So there's a whole support group for, for gay and lesbian parents. And, uh, and so then there's lots of them. There's ones in her class. There's ones in, a, in adjacent classes. So there's a lot of help with that. Um, and at the same time, you're still not the, the norm. Uh, so it, it does help into getting into exclusive schools. Roma goes to a private school that there were a hundred applicants for the 20 spots. Right. And so, okay, I'll, I'll play the gay card to get my kid in school, to get into this school. Right. Cause they want a diverse population. Right. And, and, uh, and there's also an adoptive kid support group in her school so that she has other kids who have been adopted. So there's, and a lot of that, you know, there's some crossover in those groups, but there's, there's both. And so that's been what's so helpful for me in San Francisco is there's a huge support network. Mm. There's a huge support network that we can, we can link ourselves into. And that's been a major difference for me. And do you find that Maggie? In your community? No, we have a different, <laughs> we have a different experience. Um, we don't have um, an LGBTQ parental support group. Um, I haven't even, uh, admittedly, I haven't looked. But, you know, having a little bit older kids, it seems like the parents of, of our kids um it appears anyway that there are far greater things to worry about than who is sleeping with who in terms of this child's parents. There is, you know, there is drugs and sex and rock and roll, all the same things that we all kind of dealt with, but there's also this enormous pressure to compete. There's enormous pressure um, in social media. There are just, you know, I'm, I'm in central Texas. There is, you know, a lot of extracurricular street drugs that are available. Um, and keeping our kids safe from substance abuse, from um, online bullying, from the tremendous social pressure of just being good enough to get into college somewhere and not falling through the cracks is more of where the focus is. So <clears throat> my 14-year-old has all of a sudden emerged at, from, you know, playing Xbox and all of his friends being online to this gaggle of teenage boys and stages and variations of awkward development. <laughs> and we're meeting their parents for the first time. And no one appears to have batted an eye at this point. They just want to know that there are parents home, there are parents mm -hmm. paying attention, that mm -hmm. their boys are mm -hmm. safe when they're here. And they um, are grateful for the fact that there is just a parental presence that's engaged. And so what it happens to be two women. I have not experienced that yet. We get more of the side eye when we're out in Central Texas, just my wife and I, um, without the kids. It's almost, uh, uh, you know, I get reminded by her, they're just curious. They're not, you know, staring us down in hostility, mm -hmm. um, you know, but there's that energetic exchange as well. And somehow when the kids are with us, 
it buffers that and brings in a, ah, okay, so even though I don't know you, and I may not be a parent myself, and I may not understand you, good for you all to be out to dinner together, to be going to the movies together, to be standing in the grocery store line together, and it eases that um, edge of hostility or judgment that otherwise presents when we aren't out as a family. So that's it. That's the variation in experience. Very interesting. Quite a, quite a difference. And I wonder how much of that has to do with, um, with two gay men versus two lesbian women. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. And it's like both my husband and I too, we have, we walk this really strange line of privilege because we're white gay men, mm-hmm. right? So we 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 fit the white men um, motif and and education and work doors open for us that we don't have to work to open, and so we we live in that world. And at the same time, we don't quite fit in uh, because of that. I I look back on parenting my parents parenting me now with a new understanding, going of what they went through. <laughs> uh, and uh, their whole understanding. It's been quite a journey uh, for all of us, being a gay kid, and uh, Maggie, from you, you described being a gay kid in a gay house. Uh, there's multiple layers to that. Mm-hmm. And uh, being able to share it publicly, being able to talk to my parents about it now, in retrospect, when, when they were scared that I was gay. My parents knew from the moment I was born I was different. And they knew and they didn't know what to do with it and they sent me to a shrink. Uh, I remember at seven years old I was going to a psychiatrist uh, to help figure it out. And when I was an adult, I finally asked what was all that about and what did the psychiatrist say? And uh, luckily, even in New Orleans where I grew up, uh, it, uh, the psychiatrist said to my parents, well, some kids are just different. You need to let Ken be who he is. And luckily, I found, you know, I got a great psychiatrist, right, who said that. Yeah. Uh, Right? Uh, So my parents could breathe a little bit that it was okay that I wanted to play with dolls. It was okay that that was what I was interested in. And, And now we get to to parent going, yeah, I don't really... Like you were talking about, Jackie, I don't care what my my kid's sexuality is, other than they're safe, and that I don't want them to have sexual experiences earlier than they need to, mm-hmm. uh, right? I want them to have their childhood. I want to have their innocence as long as possible. Mm-hmm. And like all parents, that's scary today with the Internet and what they're exposed to and uh, how do we parent. So I think there's a lot of commonality uh, for gay and lesbian parents with other parents because we're all just trying to figure it out. Right. We're all just trying to figure it out together. Right. Because it's, it's changing on, underneath our feet, right? Yeah. <laughs> like everything from my, my now 20-year-old son, uh, you know, and he was like, yeah, whatever. It's like, it's not about sex, you know. And he's like, he will tell me when he sees a hot guy. But he is so... He's he's hetero. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he is straight, but he can appreciate and he, he lives in that fluidity to understand. No, that's a hot guy. Mm-hmm. I can appreciate that, right? right. So um, and so that's just what's different. Um, 
Yeah. But what's what? Go ahead. You know, well, I was going to say, you know, the the other piece that I that I've been kind of working with, and I don't know if you listened uh, last week's episode with Yvette Flunder because she kind of touched on it too, and it, it's it's that um, what happens in our culture as members of the LGBT community is that that is not necessarily. I think it's changing now more, but not necessarily something you learn in your family of origin. So you might learn about you know ethnicity and um, religion and and these sort of cultural things and region where you live, but if your parents are straight, you're not you're not learning gay culture. And I think as um, you know it. Times are shifting, and people are able to live their full, fully authentic lives, and and can become parents. Um, that it may happen that um, gay parents are raising gay children, and and there is an exchange of culture in that regard. But it's still not the common experience. And I don't know if you guys think about that. Um, you know that. Well, I think it is. I was a gunkle before I was a parent, right? <laughs> right, <uncle>. right, right, right. <laughs> For those who've never heard the term before, and I constantly worked. I loved being an uncle because uh, it's what you talk about, Ellen. It's like being a supportive parent without having the responsibility of raising them. Yeah. So I constantly. Uh, I exposed my nieces and nephews to my life and to as much Broadway and showbiz and fabulousness as I possibly could. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so, and they was all, there, but was there uh, glitter? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sequins. Darling, sequence. Awesome, awesome. <laughs> um, you know, and <laughs> I, uh, they always knew my partner. They always knew my, you know, and they knew who we were. Uh, so I'm sure they went home to their parents with tons of questions all those years. So that, I think, is also what's different. Yes. That for one. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, the openness. Yeah. Maggie, do you have thoughts that about too. that? Yeah. yeah, to that is, you're right. You know, you, uh, in a heterosexual family, you're not being exposed to, um, typically not being exposed to what um, the LGBTQ community, um, you know, is like or the normalcy of the people that are in that, you know, you just, you never know um, who people really are beyond the exterior facing mask of the world. But what I can say is that that double-edged sword of, um, of social media and for like all access streaming mm-hmm. of, you know, Netflix and YouTube and Hulu, the kids that um, are in these younger generations, the Gen Y, Gen Z, I generation, they, they are curious and they are connected beyond just what is available by way of a social education in their family anymore. And we're seeing that beyond just LGBTQ. Right. We're seeing these as being the unchurched kids that are spiritual. And you have to wonder where they're getting their spirituality, where they're getting their theology and making up their own ideas of, of the way of the world. Um, so if they are growing up in middle America and the Midwest where everybody is white and straight, 
they still have the availability, the tools and the connection to get beyond the world that they're experiencing in the physical, like every day. They can see um, greater examples of the variety of life. And should that strike a chord with them, if it strikes a curiosity or resonates within something that is familiar in themselves, they have the ability to build a community beyond the roof that's over their head. So while as a parent, I want to protect my kids and I'm aware of, you know, the negative side of technology and um, the online resources and social media, there's also a deep expression of gratitude for, for otherwise limited experiences that are made available through those outlets. Yeah, it's amazing the access to information our, just our children have. I mean, it's mind-boggling for, you know, as adults, but, but to really realize the access of information that our children have and um, for the good and, and the difficult. <laughs> And they're fact checkers, you know, that's one thing I hate to get into an argument (laughs) with my 18 year old because she's been fact checking me since she was five, you know, Um, so, (laughs) well, you didn't really ever say that it was actually coined by so-and-so or actually mom. So I can imagine that she is not unique. That she is, you know, there are parents that are, um, you know, giving their point of view and also having their children, their teens and young adults um, offer an alternative. That music means we are out of time. This has been wonderful. Ken Daigle and Maggie Alderman, thank you so much for being on the show and Jackie Fernandez as a co-host. We'll be back next week with Voices of Unity. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Intuition is our spiritual GPS and the single best tool that we have for navigating our lives. I'm Victoria Shaw, and on my Intuitive Connection podcast, I will share with you the ways to connect with your intuition and awaken the gifts of your soul. In each episode, I'll draw on my own intuitive gifts and my training as an Ivy League trained counselor and psychologist to help support you in reaching your highest potential. Start listening now on Mind Body Spirit FM Podcast Network or wherever you find your podcasts.